Hello and welcome back to our dedicated podcast for students exploring all things science, college, university and careers. Join us and discover your love of the universe and everything in it. I'm Jake. I'm Callum. And this is for the love of the universe. Well, finally, we're back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Absolutely amazing. I tell you what, I've had a fantastic summer. Don't know about you, Jake. Yes, I had a fantastic summer doing basically absolutely nothing, which uh, after uh, how many weeks it is in school was uh, was uh, fantastic to say the least. Yeah, but weirdly enough, I missed actually doing this. Uh, yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? I mean, um, you know, we can't complain, but uh, you know, eight weeks off uh, is uh, for summer is uh, you know can can drag. But no, I've been looking forward to it. But it's been exciting because, of course, now we're back post COVID. We're back in the sort of studio, as it were, actually, actually in the same room. Yes, so you don't have to deal with my terrible uh, sound quality from last series anymore. It wasn't awful. No, it, it was awful. It was. It was um... Could have been better. It was interesting. But here we are. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. good to be back. Yeah. It's good to be back. And we have a fantastic new series for you guys. I mean, we've got some fantastic things planned. I mean, what we've got to start this week. I mean, anything interesting? Yeah. I mean, this week, because um, of uh, sort of popular demand, we're going to be talking about black holes and stars um, and that kind of thing, which is very much my background. So I'll be talking a bit about, you know, how I got into that kind of thing, what's going on. Um, in terms of sort of careers in that uh, area. Uh, so yeah, that's quite exciting uh, for me. And then we've got a number of other episodes where we'll talk about our specific university experiences, which if you're interested in going to university, you know, you might find that something interesting to listen to, um, as well as other things. I think we've got some, we've got quite a few ideas of topics we'd love to discuss that have been sort of mentioned by students, by parents. So hopefully you stay tuned and you actually enjoy yeah, I mean, that is the main thing, isn't it? The main thing is, you know, it's, uh, well, it's in the title, isn't it? It's for uh, fostering that love of the universe and uh, everything in it. So, uh, yeah, if, on that note, in fact, uh, we have to say thank you to our sort of loyal core of listeners for giving all their feedback from series one. Hopefully you'll see um, all of those uh, acted on in, uh, in this series two. Uh, but also if you want to, uh, after giving us a listen, if you want to get in touch, uh, our email address is for the love of the universe 13.8 at gmail.com or lowercase all lowercase yeah uh, as it always is or there is a or at in every uh, episode description you can find a link to a form that you can also ask us questions on and that comes directly to us so anyway it we will, it's easy it's yeah. easy let us know and we'll talk about let, what you want to talk let about. us know we love getting questions from you guys we love answering them some of the questions we got last year was fantastic uh, so, I, so we've got a fantastic first episode. I think we need to get straight to it. So, uh, anything interesting been going on this week with you? Well, funny you should ask that. Well, in physics, uh, we've actually been making holograms because we've got open evening coming up. Uh, it's that time of year where we everyone's got open evenings i thought it'd be great if we could have something that we could do it do in the open evening that people could take home with them so uh yeah, sort of physics goodie bags right oh there, yeah. de definitely that's worth it what about yourself you got anything planned for open evening yeah it's funny that you mentioned that isn't it because we we also have our uh, open evenings you've alluded to uh this week so hopefully uh some of the people who have discovered us uh, open evening will be uh listening uh right now definitely keep an ear out for us and uh come and 
meet us in person. Yeah, yeah. If if you can get there, of course, with all these uh, fuel shortages at the moment. <laughs> oh God, it's an absolute terrible moment for gas shortages. Though, leading on from that, I believe you've got something to talk about gases of your own kind. Yes. So it's funny that. So one of the main things is said in the intro that we're going to be talking about uh, today uh, by popular request. When you always ask students what uh, is one of the more interesting things in science or physics or space, what you will, you always get black black holes always come up. Um, and black what makes black holes uh, and generally uh, stars interesting is because they um, ionize the gas around them. Now that's the sort of technical term for essentially uh, giving them energy, heating them up. Um, and that allows us to actually observe them. Um, so even though they're called black holes, you know, we can do observations and some people listening have probably seen the uh, Nobel Prize winning picture that was taken um, of this. Uh, so it is related to gases, uh, ironically, in this uh, sort of week that we are living through at the moment. Well, of course, black holes, everyone's interested in the time travel aspect. Where do they lead to? What are they? Um, you know, what? I remember the first time I saw that image and I, I don't know why. I think it's all the rendition. I thought there would be this amazing image. And then it was just like orange, like fire circling a black, circling a dot of black. And I was sort of like, huh, I actually don't know how to feel about this. On the one hand, I like expected more. But on the other hand, the enormity of what we've discovered is like in my mind. And do you know what? It felt really weird to feel such a way because I felt like I'm betraying being a physicist because I don't feel utterly amazed by this. But you know, yes. it's, it's it's movies have ruined it for me. <laughs> yeah, well, that is the thing, isn't it? Although, uh, if, if we're talking about movies, you know, if anyone has seen um, Interstellar, or if people haven't seen Interstellar, I would thoroughly recommend it for this exact reason, because it is pretty much the only movie out there uh, that I've seen where they do render the black hole and actually show it how it would actually look. You know, if you haven't seen the movie, do a quick, uh, you know, Google I, I search. Lo- do you know what? There. The 3D portal, the wormhole, is the first time I've seen anyone sort of really get that right. You know, it's always like you you go through some sort of space door and it's never like that in reality. So I'll give Interstellar its due. There were a lot of effects they got that actually, hands down, credit to them, they got, they've got right. Yeah, exactly. But no, I 100% agree with the the, the picture. It's, um, you see this image and it is a black hole and, and you feel like, and you think, oh, it's a black hole with, you know, a fiery ring around it. And you think, well, what was I expecting? <laughs> Almost. It's kind of in the name. But it is when you step back and think about what has been achieved, which of course is what the Nobel Prize was for, is that they have managed to take a picture of something that light cannot escape from. And when you just think about that sentence for a second, I think that was what makes them really interesting. It's and that's of, why we're going to be talking about them today. It's sort of like taking a picture of nothing. Isn't that that's essentially what they've done? It's like you want to try and take a picture of nothing to make it something. And it, it, it sounds really weird to put it like that, but it it's not something that is normal you would ex- you would expect so it is one hell of an achievement yeah absolutely fantastic certainly which is why we are dedicating episode one to that well why not so i can see you've got a nice big thesis over there <laughs> yeah i uh... I when I knew I was going to be talking about this uh, this evening, I uh, took my uh, master's thesis, dusted it off from my bookshelf, and uh, was reading it to remind myself. He's of, not. Uh, uh, of uh, it's been a few years now. I'm just looking at the date on it. It's been five years now. He wasn't so, kidding. Uh, the amount myself. of dust. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Reading it my lunch break today. 
to remind myself. I don't know whether you can hear that, but there we are. Heavy reading. Heavy reading. But <laughs> in all senses of the word. But interesting. So you're going to tell us about it. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose the place to start is, you know, uh, what people always ask me is, you know, how do you get into this kind of thing? How so? So my background, my specialism uh, when I did my degree was astrophysics, uh, as people who uh, listen to series one will know. So. Um, people always ask me, you know, well, how'd you get into that kind of thing? And people will know at work that I do. Um, so at school, I do a lot of uh, astronomy um, with students. Um, so that's really my thing. So it's, so it's how do you get into this kind of thing, which I think is a good question, particularly because, you know, lots of our students at secondary school are going to be thinking about going to, you know, college or sixth form uh, and what, what they want to study. Um, and of course, uh, a lot of our college students here at the sixth form one are going to want to... Uh end up going to university or to friendships and so on. And uh, as a second astrophysicist as well, uh, I can claim it's the most important subject there is. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are, we are biased. We are biased. All the science is important, of course. We should emphasize. <laughs> You're going down the diplomatic route. Astrophysics is best. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that route, I mean, speaking of routes, okay, that, that, that route in, obviously, all your science is important, really. Okay, and yes, and that's the first thing I want to say, really, you're even though you know when we talk about the stars and space and so on people always think the physics out of the three you know core sciences but you know the biology and the chemistry is as important equally if not more important in mm -hmm. certain aspects of uh, space science you know which people often overlook i think if you're particularly interested in space but you're you have a particular interest in biology for example you know astrobiology um is is, is a massive thing you know searching for signs of life um on other planets for example and if we're plugging the movie angle here, but there was um, the Daily Earth dude still with uh, Keanu Reeves, where the his sort of love interest, I, think, I don't know quite how to describe, but she was an example of an astrobiologist, and basically they gather, they want to discover the sphere from an alien, they gather them all together because they they are more experts in looking at alien life than, of course, the astrophysicists who basically deal with the stars in space. So, you, you know, the link between them is absolutely crucial i think you know? yeah exactly and, and the biochemistry as well you know mm. it's all there that's that's all you know the, the basis of life um so yeah i think that's worth emphasizing at this point isn't it that you know even though we're both physicists it's it's important this podcast is about science and we're really going to be talking about the biology the chemistry as well is there such thing as astrochemistry i mean there must be obviously like i said we're both physicists so it's not my uh you know it's not my uh area of expertise but of course a lot of chemistry is going on in space i mean lots of what i'm going to talk about as i mentioned in the intro you know, is ionization. Um, any GCC chemistry student will be able to tell you about ionization, um, certainly in terms of electrons um, and so on. Let's give it a quick Google. This is the answer to everything. Uh, so I should tell everybody now that Callum is on Google, Googling astrochemistry. I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm, one of the first things it comes up with is astrochemistry salary <laughs> and an astrochemistry PhD. There you go. I told you it must exist. Astrobot again. I've never heard of it. Exactly. I've never heard of it either. So, I mean, that's great, isn't it? So yeah, astrochemistry is the study of the composition of rea and reactions of atoms, molecules, and ions. In yeah, there you go. Ions exists. in space. It's exactly what I just said. Ions in space, ionization. Right, so, so, of course it exists. So, there you go. I mean, but the title of what I, my, my research that I did um, was all about ionization. So, you could almost say that actually um, my... Uh, research project was probably more astrochemistry than uh, astrophysics when you actually think about it but yeah of course it exists Traitor. i mean everyone hears <laughs> everyone hears of astrobiology because i suppose that's the 
you know, looking for life, we all want to find ET and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, astrochemistry equally important as well. Um, and so, yeah, I think that is actually the first thing that I wanted to mention, really. You know, this this podcast is about science uh, and for the love of, you know, the universe and every, everything in it. You know, so when we talk about space, for example, as we're talking about this episode, I think it is important to, to realize that it's the biology and the chemistry that, that are really making um, big impacts on that as well. I think it doesn't help that, you know, at a GC level, if we just talk about uh, school level for now, I think it doesn't help that, you know, you study space in physics, for example. And then when you go on to, I mean, you can talk about this um, um, from your work, when you go on to study A level, you know, it's the astrophysics module, isn't it? It is, you know what? It's not as prevalent. In fact, in my experience, I've actually found over the last sort of four or five years, I don't know if you've found the same thing, it's almost like they're toning it back a bit. In a lot of the schemes of work as a teacher, they're toning back. I think that's a great shame because I would put money on that there's more people who, whether they believe it or themselves, have looked up at some point in their life at stars and just thought about, is there stuff out there? I'm still getting questions from every new student asking me about it. Do I believe aliens are exist what's up in space and all of these things I, and you're right you know it'd be interesting to have done when i was in gcse teaching gcse um biology and space together but there's no way a scheme of work sort of allows it it's a, it's a wonderful missed opportunity yeah I, so exactly so building from that is when you um so when you get the opportunity as a student to actually pick what you're doing and if you are really interested in space but you think oh no i shouldn't pick biology and chemistry i should just pick you know physics and maths or something like that which are the you know, the sort of usual choices, you know, if you really enjoy your biology, you know, go for it, you really enjoy your chemistry, you know, go for it. And they will make you stand out. I think if we're giving career advice, which is what we're, what we're here for now, having gone through it all, you know, ourselves, and we've come out as physicists, but, you know, space, um, there's so many opportunities, if you're really into that biology, your chemistry as well. I mean, that would be a really powerful um, combination of uh, choices at uh, college and A level, I suppose, wouldn't it, if you did biology, chemistry, and physics it is. not just space but just in general that was interdisciplinary science is the way you know we're going <laughs> isn't it indeed i, I will have i'll have to do the plug all plug in from the college obviously if you do any of the a level sciences we often do recommend that you take maths however i will say it's not necessarily the end of the world if you choose not to and you're right i think if you study science the doors it opens whether you want to go through them now it has those doors popped open there's so much you can do but you want to do it because you love it. I think the, the message you just delivered about doing something for your love and your passion, that's what we carry through. You know, people going across to do so many things at university that they're really interested in. You know, a quick plug of my interest was I ended up um, doing astrophysics. The planets module I did, uh, that was my favorite class. And of course, then I did really well in it. A um, couple of assignments I did fantastically. And so if that's the thing that would give me another passion. And I love being a teacher, but there are there are times I dream of being a, a scientist stuck in a, a room with a telescope and figuring out the mysteries of the universe. There's still that in my heart that I want to do, but I like delivering that to the ch to children, to teenagers, to people who have the ability to be the next generation to carry that on. Yeah, exactly. So I suppose that's also, you know, why 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 we do this, you know, podcast is is it's it is that advice. So so you know, keep your keep your science options open really you know it isn't it, when we're talking about space it isn't we're sitting here as physicists but you know we're telling you you know it's not just all about physics um so i think that's an important important point yeah so and i didn't realize this the reason that i wanted to say that really at that sort of gcc and that a level or college level was i didn't realize this until i got to university 
And at university, I realized that, you know, okay, interdisciplinary science is the way, you know, I want to go. So I actually picked a natural sciences course. Um, so natural sciences sounds like it should be basically biology, <laughs> um, but it's really not. Natural sciences is a course at university, which lots of people listening may be interested in. So it's worth talking about that allows you to essentially pick okay what you want to study which is why i picked it because i didn't really want to commit to just physics or just engineering or just maths at that point you know when i was 18 i didn't really know okay so what i wanted to do with the rest of you know my academic career you know so, what you so know, i picked to do a bit of all three you know what you love but you don't quite know which one to sort of put aside at that moment in and time. i think that is a really good way to sell natural sciences and lots of mm -hmm. increasingly lots of universities are doing natural sciences now so if you are thinking about that Okay, um, then, you know, that that could be a good option if you're in the same position as me. And I would thoroughly recommend that. And then that brings us full circle, you know, in terms of my sort of academic career um, in the research uh, that I did as part of my master's. By the time I got to the end of it, I'd specialized in um, the, the sort of space sciences of this astro uh, physics project uh, sitting in front of me, staring at me, uh, which I'm now going <laughs> to open, as I said, for the first time in a while uh, and start chatting about stuff. But yeah, the um, the title <laughs> is that Tipex. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, well, well, again, you can't. This is the problem with the podcast, isn't it? But uh, as uh, Callum has described, <laughs> my sort of bound tome, you have to get it all printed and bound and all that kind of stuff oh, to like this, hand the, in for marking. Yeah, yeah. My dissertation, beautiful hard. Um, what was it? Hardcover, hardcovered book. Exactly. That, yeah. actually, that in five. <laughs> Oh God, I don't know, like five, six, seven, eight years. I've, I've completely lost count. I have not cracked open either. No, exactly. Uh, it's there, you know it's I, there on the bookshelf. It looks nice on a bookshelf, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it looks yeah, impressive. That's... I wrote that. I wrote that, but I can't remember what I actually wrote in it. Yeah, exactly. Well, this was me at lunchtime today, so <laughs> I, that's why I had a flick through, flick through. But um, yeah, the <laughs> but then that's the point. Once you've got it printed, <laughs> if you've got it. Tipex, if you want to make any changes, you've got to tipex it all out. But there we go. So I was talking about the first stars and black holes. This is the title. Um, and it was all about modeling what we call the epoch of reionization, okay, which I've, I've briefly mentioned. Now, just then, let's take a step back all the way to the beginning of the universe. Okay, we're talking about an epoch of time very near the beginning of the universe because um, I'm interested or was interested in the first stars and black holes that formed in our universe. Now, as anyone who's paid much attention um, over the last series to our email address for the love of the universe 13.8, they will know that the universe started about 13.8 billion years ago, hence the number. And at that point, you know, we always think of the hot big bang and, you know, you might think about it as being almost this bright explosion, but of course it really wasn't. Uh, and there were no stars uh, or anything that really existed at that point, of course, it was all, um, <clears throat> just fundamental particles um, and energy. Uh, so we call that era the dark ages of the universe because there's no um, uh, stars to produce light. Of course, when we look up into the night sky, all we're seeing is stars and galaxies, really. That's where uh, the source of all of our light comes from in the universe. So before that, in the age of the universe, we're talking about 380,000 years um, where there was uh, absolutely nothing um, to the point of... We won't go into details here because it's quite complicated, but the universe inflated at that point. We have this period of, of, of inflation, a few, a few hundred thousand years of inflation there. Okay. Um, and, but then literally for millions of years, about 400 million years, absolutely nothing. And we call those the dark ages. I, I would like to say when we say there was nothing, 
at the start of university, there was something, but it's in there's no light, so it's not it's not it's so it's there's nothing to see. I think it's yeah, there. exactly. Hence hence the dark ages. It's, yeah. it was just the dark you know, times. Dark, you know, nothing that we when we look in the night sky now, nothing that we would recognise in the night sky now was was there. There was literally nothing to see. So about four, and you can imagine that four hundred million years of just basically pitch black. It's but it's. I think we've. I think uh, I would like to say I think I've sat a few lessons that felt like that. <laughs> so yeah, not naming names. But then you know you think after these four hundred million years of essentially the universe expanding and cooling and just this darkness, um, suddenly we have these first stars forming, uh, and I think that is what is really interesting. You know, is what causing that. It's all there's almost a chicken and the egg problem, which is why it was something that I was interested in, and, and a big problem was and still is you know what's coming first so people listening um may know that galaxies are collections of uh, billions of stars and it raises the question you know what's coming first are all the stars forming and then sort of clumping together in these big groups uh, which we call galaxies or do galaxies in some way form um and then the stars that aids the stars forming within them somehow it is very much a chicken egg problem, and, and it's, uh, it's still not, you know, fully understood. Uh, so this was the sort of thing that I was looking in, interested, uh, looking at and was interested in, because, of course, you know, it's where we come from. We come from, you know, stardust, essentially. Uh, so it's that interesting period of 400 million years after the Dark Ages. Where's all that light, um, you know, coming from? How is it forming? How does that lead to us? I mean, we have done an episode in season one, that briefly touched on this. But just to um, say, it is very rare to find stars not in a galaxy. Like nearly all stars will be in a galaxy. So when you're saying the chicken egg problem, it's sort of like you you desperately would not expect, at least in modern times, to find a star in just space. It's going to be as part of a galaxy of some sort. It might be on the very far out reaches, but it's part of it to actually the chances of finding a star on its own just floating into space is rare and for that to happen you've got to have something pretty pretty extreme to happen to it yeah exactly so so how does that happen you know where do all these galaxies you know come Come from from? exactly so that's 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 the sort of core question isn't it because you know we scale it back you know galaxies form stars form uh, planets form moons form and as we were saying you know that brings in the sort of first dawn of the universe, we often uh, call it, and ultimately, you know, where we have come from. So I think existentially, from a sort of very human point of view, uh, that's why this topic is really interesting. And this is where things like black holes come in. Um, So as we were talking about earlier in the intro, you know, we now have this proof of uh, black holes existing um, in terms of, you know, we've taken pictures of them uh, now. Um, which, as we said at the, the beginning, is now absolutely amazing. Um, but, but why are they important? Well, they're, they're interesting and important in the sense that they were theoretically um, uh, sort of predicted uh, and now our observations uh, align with that and, and prove that those theoretical, um, theoretical predictions um, actually exist. And we are now very, very certain, and most people in the field that you talk to would agree that um having all that observational data that we now have black holes are fundamental to galaxy formation and evolution we're now pretty much convinced 
that there are supermassive black holes at the centre of pretty much all galaxies. Uh, and that is what the stars are orbiting around in their, in their spiral arms and bars and so on. I would like to say, um, it, it, you know, without black holes, you have no galaxies. It's, they're, they're holding together. Um, but the size of black holes are, like, mind-boggling. They're just huge. Yeah. But going back to what you were saying before about black holes being theory, you know, before this sort of picture, this discovery, it's like we knew it was there. We knew that our laws have made sense, but we didn't prove it. Sort of like if you've never gone in a plane, sort of saying... Well, if I fall, if I jump off a plane from a great height, I'm going to fall down. Like everything you've got in your life tells you that should happen. But until you actually do it, you can never be 100% certain. And I'm not recommending anyone actually does that. But it's sort of like that sort of analogy and sort of saying we, we're fairly certain, but we can't be 100% certain. This is why the picture was, I mean, it was, it was, it was a big deal. And I know many people might go, well, it's just a picture, but it, you have to understand it's, it is solid proof saying everything that we've believed in is correct because the fear many of us have is that everything we've learned could be wrong, which would be, <laughs> yes. uh, I, I can't describe how depressing that day would be. I think the best thing I can say is if you've ever watched the Big Bang theory show with uh, Sheldon and Amy when they get their theory wrong, I think that is a very stark example of what would happen if we believed everything that we, our scientists would believe everything that we've learned is wrong. I think... You wouldn't go far off thinking that's how a very fair reaction thing. Yeah, yeah. The well, I'm just picking up on something that you said uh, there as well. Was you know now, as you were saying, it would be really difficult to imagine a situation when we have galaxies of billions of stars that exist without a supermassive black hole at their centre. But of course, you know, up until fairly recently, you know, we, we were not sure that these things even existed. So I think that's what's so interesting about them is that we've gone from thinking that they are just purely theoretical, you know, almost like sci-fi objects, like we were talking about at the beginning, to actually now, you know, fundamental and and uh, the sort of early galaxy formation evolution research, you know, that I was involved in, all that kind of stuff. You know, now we, we are, you know, almost 100% convinced that, that these things must exist and they must exist at the centre of galaxies and are fundamental to their formation and evolution. And again, I briefly talked about where this was going. This links nicely to the chemistry uh, we were talking about, is that, you know, chemistry applies to the whole universe. In this 400 million year dark age at the beginning of the universe, um, the universe was basically primarily made of neutral hydrogen gas. Okay, and the neutral part is important, um, right? So, and essentially this is is opaque, which is why everything was dark. You know, you can't you can't see through it. These clouds of dust and gas, and, and that was what the universe was made out of. Um, and what happened is something. You know, we don't know because we can't see it. Okay, forming, but some things must have formed. Okay, in order to what we call ionize that gas. So I think this is um, a good place to sort of step back and just think about the chemistry of what's going on. So we have this neutral hydrogen gas. And if you imagine an atom of hydrogen, it's essentially a proton, okay, in the nucleus uh, with an electron, okay, orbiting in a shell, okay, on a simple level. Yeah. And what uh, happens is for that um, hydrogen gas, that neutral ion, hydrogen gas, okay, to become um a charged ion we call it okay we don't call charged particles atoms we call them charged ions okay that's where the word ionization comes from essentially when we charge the atom okay how does that actually happen well at the beginning it was neutral because the proton that's why it's called a proton from the latin is positive and the electron is negative 
So they cancel each other out and it's neutral. So if you give the neutral hydrogen atom enough energy, the electron effectively um, has enough energy to escape from the atom. Then you're just left with this soup of positive protons in the middle. At that point, it becomes charged. And we call that process ionization. Okay. And at that point, and what's so important about that is that at that point, it goes from being opaque to being effectively transparent. And at that point, you can see for the first time. We call this process, the first time this ionization happened, um, we call this sort of phase transition from neutral to charged ions. We call this um, the first light or the cosmic dawn of the universe, because the first time that we could really, or you would be able to see through um, the uh, sort of impenetrable darkness of the, the first 400 million years of the universe. I think um, in the episode before we mentioned, I mentioned it being like a fog uh, mm, before. It'd be, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be like, stamp. I mean, I can't really say that, but it'd be like standing somewhere surrounded by this really opaque fog. You can't see through it. And then suddenly the fog clears. And that's sort of what came about. Um, I mean, you know what? It'd be, it'd be interesting to be there to see it. Yeah, exactly. I, well, that, that would be an astronomer's I, dream, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, unless I have protection, I'd be dead. But uh, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be an interesting way to go. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so the question is, and obviously we've really, you know, uh, we've we, we, we very much hinted at what the answer is. But I saw the big question is, some, you know, massive objects that are throwing out, you know, photons of light at a, at a really, really efficient rate, okay, must be a, must exist, must form, okay, in order to ionize and essentially blast away this cosmic fog, okay, and black holes or galaxies with these supermassive black holes um, in their centers are the sort of prime candidates for that. So you so without the black holes, none of us could have existed. We well, yeah, well, exactly. So again, I think it's amazing. We've gone from this idea, you know, all of this is still, you know, very much up for debate and research uh, led and so on. But we've gone from this point where, you know, do black holes even exist to if we start to put our black holes into our models and, uh, you know, low mass um, galaxies with with black holes in them uh, that are relatively faint, but um, they have enough ionizing power, as it were, to, to ionize this neutral hydrogen gas around, them, blast them away and bring about, you know, cosmic dawn. It's, you know, without black holes, it seems very unlikely that that, that would be able to occur. Um, so, yes, you could argue without that um, element. There are lots of, you know, different recipes or, or parts of the recipe to to what is going to lead to cosmic dawn but i think black holes seem to be you know fundamental and therefore we think about black holes as destructive forces often again in sci-fi but actually i think here they are a really nice creative force to our our vision quite literally of the universe today by many things how you look at it i mean you think so the universe begins the, the big expansion you get energy being flung out you get energy turning into matter so you get your uh, matter, antimatter, they annihilate, but matter wins. Matter then forms into your hydrogen, your neutral hydrogen. And without black holes, then the universe sort of just sticks as that, really. Yeah, it, I think it, black it, holes must be, you know, in they, the they formation. They stir the pot of, of Yeah, life. exactly. Stir, I think that is a lovely way of putting it, isn't it? They stir the pot, you know, and there is a lovely summary of the whole sort of process. Mm. And and then, you know, they, you know they're, they're fundamental. And I think that's one of the things I want to get across. People always have, I think black holes get a bad rep 
in a sci-fi movie, you're always running away from them, aren't you? As fast as you can. And, uh, you know, I think actually they're a really positive thing. And we must think like without them, we wouldn't have, or we come to the realization now, which is quite exciting in astronomy, that we wouldn't have the galaxies, the stars, the planets that, that, that we have. You know, you could almost argue that it's unlikely that it would be able to, you know, be here um if, if these things were not forming uh, so yes yeah, it's, it's the way you look at it but i think that's a that's a nice way to look at it i mean it's sort of like fire isn't it like far away it's a lovely life-giving thing too close then actually sci-fi does have a point because if you're very close to a black hole and you've had that's gonna hurt yeah and i think there you go that's <laughs> and then that i think that is a lovely thing to end on um is mm. that you know what happens then when you do get close to a black hole? Because that's whatever, whatever. I, th I think that's one other thing. There's two things we need to add on there. Because obviously, I think we need to address what the common thing you get about black holes, which is time travel. I yeah, think. exactly. We, we can't leave that. That'd, yeah. be, that'd be criminal of us to do so. Yeah, I think they're the two things, aren't they? So, yeah. you know, that everyone loves talking about. So, I suppose, what if, okay, you were right near the what we call the event horizon, okay, or which is often referred to as the sort of edge of the black hole, that the point of no return. You could say, you know, what happens at that point? I mean, before we go into that one, it might be worth saying that it, just because I'm aware of timing, that maybe we do a time travel episode. That might be fun. All about an, that would episode, be good. an episode about time travel. So we could actually. You mentioned, yeah, you yeah, mentioned we, we, wormholes we, earlier. I think. Yeah. So we could be more detailed. We could be more detailed about time travel. So we give you like a quick rundown in this one just for science sake and then actually save it. For time travel and of course if you want to listen to that one you got to keep listening yeah see this is this is this is, the, <laughs> this is the thing guys but physicists in a room and you know this is why i've been leaving this to the end but but two physicists in the room and say right talk about black holes for two minutes impossible you will be here for two hours so uh yeah come back for that two one, hours are sort of optimistic Certainly. There. yeah <laughs> i have written that down that is definitely a future episode <laughs> but yeah to to address that question i always get you know what 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 would happen if you actually fell in so you come to this this sort of theoretical edge uh, or point of no return or um you know uh what we call the event horizon of the black hole you know what what would actually be happening well time travel aside um what would be happening physically is you've got to you've got to think of what black holes are um, ultimately they are um really 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 massive objects and when we say massive okay we don't necessarily mean massive in size i mean they are massive in size but what we're talking about is the amount of mass okay the amount of kilograms essentially they're made from the the, the unfathomable okay millions of billions of suns okay and so on um and if you imagine how strong the pull of our earth is for example to make the moon orbit around it you imagine the gravitational pull of the sun to make the planets orbit around it okay you multiply that up by millions okay and there you're getting close okay um well maybe not even close in the in the in the uh sort of um realm of supermassive or hypermassive black holes which are even bigger and bigger and greater gravitational pulls um but that's the key thing it's that gravitational pull um is exceptionally strong almost unimaginably strong i would say uh and this is a terrible analogy but if you want to sort of get your head around it imagine you holding a tiny weeny little bit of grain of sand the grain of sand would be the sun and you're the black hole that in terms of mass now i could make myself like really small girl up into the ball but to make my size small but my mass is still the same and again it's the same idea yeah so um so so what would physically happen if you're there well the, the process is 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 quite lovingly named um spaghettification yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll know if we we bring it back to sort of earth because we know about gravity on earth 
you know, um, closest, closer to the surface of the earth, the gravity is stronger. In fact, closer to the, you know, and uh, the further away we get, uh, you get further up in the atmosphere, you go into space and so on, you'll know, uh, that the further you look at astronauts, the further away we get from the earth, the, the gravitational pull, pull weakens. Well, the gravity, the gravitational force changes so much because it's so strong over such short distances, um, going towards a black hole that literally, um, the gravitational attraction on your feet would be so significantly stronger than the gravitational attraction on your head that you literally get stretched out into spaghetti hence the term spaghettification it's sort of like um someone grabbing you by your feet whilst you've got your hands held up above tied above you and like really pulling hard but you're not you're not even going to get to the point where you're going to rip in half your entire body entire act all the matter of molecules are pulled i mean it will be painful Yes, and well, you'd, be dead. you'd be very much dead before this point because you'd be hurtling towards it, of course. And again, let's bring it back to Earth. You know that things, when they hurtle through the atmosphere towards Earth, you know, they, they heat up and that generally is to the atmosphere, of course, um, the sort of air resistance there in the atmosphere. But, okay, this is why, in fact, going back to our picture of the uh, black hole um, that we've seen, you can actually see the edge around it. Well, that's all the material um, orbiting and falling into it at such high speeds. The gravitational force is so strong, okay, that it's such high speeds, it's heating up, it has a lot of energy, okay, and that is the the, the energy, the light that is being um, emitted there. Um, so not only would you be spaghetti, but you would be uh, cooked spaghetti. So the, the way I see it is it's sort of a bit like, um, did you ever watch, uh, what's that movie with the asteroid that came in here, uh, uh, Deep Impact? Oh, Deep Impact. Yeah, yeah. so... It's like, you know, if, if a comet comes towards the Earth, you get this huge flaming uh, meteorite, flaming asteroid coming down. Well, you've got that in space. There's no oxygen. Well, there, there is a bit, nothing nothing enough to create this big flame effect. But you're, you're basically going to heat up. So you fall towards a black hole. You start getting faster. You get faster and faster and faster. You feel the forces. You feel sick. You start cooking, then you start spaghetti flying. I mean, you get close to this thing, it's going to punish you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that <laughs> that is the answer. If if you could survive and get close to a black hole, and this is what I always get asked, you know, physically, you know, that is what would happen to any material, but uh, of course, uh, you as well. I think, um, you know, as, as a sort of mind-blowing point to end on, uh, when you hit the event horizon, um, time would stop for you at that point, which is... Something to uh, think about that sentence for a while. And you can see why people find black holes so fascinating. You know, if you, you can see almost here that I'm just completely lost for words, just thinking about it, you know, that's why they call black holes. Not even light can escape and light can travel, at the, you know, by definition, the speed of light, which is, you know, as fast as something can travel in the universe. You know, in order for light to stop, you know, time itself must stop, uh, which I think is absolutely fascinating. And again, something... I think that is, we need to spend a whole whole episode on this, Colin. Yeah, I think uh, if it would be very quick is to, just to say that near big objects, time slows down. The bigger the object, the more it slows down for. I think the nice analogy is imagine a river flowing water, if time is this water. If you put a big rock, it sort of slows down the water does to pass around it. A black hole is so big, it's like if as you get closer and closer to it, it will slow down time enough to the point where you just stop. But the rest of the universe, it's got to keep moving. So from their point of view, you're gone. You don't you don't just sort of freeze frame as a picture yeah. or anything like that. So, so yeah, jo join join us again for a uh, episode <laughs> on space time. I think. Oh definitely. yeah, def definitely. So I think 
we'll have to, uh, I think that makes our first ever episode for season two. Series two, yes, series two, episode one, done. Well, we hope you enjoyed uh, joining us, uh, listening to us uh, chat about uh, black holes, the first stars, the universe. We covered a lot there. Covered the it. creation of the universe. We've essentially covered the first 400 million years of the universe there in about uh, 45 minutes. The universe is 3.8 billion years old. We've got loads So we've got loads more <laughs> things to talk about, you know, hence the name of the podcast. And there is plenty more to talk about there, I think, for the rest of the age of the universe. We'll, we'll be here on series 100. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Indeed. So thanks again for listening, everyone. Uh, if you want to get in touch, okay, our email address is for the love of the universe 13.8 at gmail.com. Okay, but of course, all the links uh, to the form are also um, are online. So uh, do get in touch and uh, send us any questions you might have or anything that you'd like us to discuss um, uh, as we go through this series. Looking forward to it. Well, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. Take care.